Welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep. On today's episode, sitting down with the team from NC Fit, Gabe Yanez, MDV, and we're discussing the idea of can a good coach be boring, which then carried into farming and milking cows. We talk about carnivore. Always love talking to Gabe and MDV. We always have amazing conversations. I hope you enjoy this one as much as we enjoyed recording it. Now, before we get into the episode, simple ask. Take a screenshot. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review on the podcast. Hit us up on Instagram. Let us know what you think about these episodes. Let us know of a subject that you think we should be covering in the future. We greatly appreciate that feedback to know what you're listening to and where we want to go in the future. Hope you and your families are doing incredibly well. Keep crushing it in the gym to crush outside the gym. And let's dive into a great episode. Let's go. Gabe MDV, my bad guys. I uh, I'm all over the place this morning for the podcast, but uh, let's uh, let's get right into this conversation. You know, we were we were talking the other day, and uh, MDV put up a post, and in particular, he was talking about this idea of technician uh, versus personality in regards to a coach. And I when I when I was looking at that, I actually the more I looked, I thought about it. It didn't only relate to a coach in the brick and mortar, like a gym. It relates to a lot of different professions, including like your previous profession, uh, MDV, being a lawyer. How much of being a lawyer are you going to choose based on their personality versus their technical proficiency versus in a coach? How much of that about the tech, uh, technician versus personality? I think each industry might have varying degrees of this. Now, obviously, I think that the easy answer is, well, we want a little bit of both. Of course, we want a little bit. Of, we want We want both. But if you had to pick one, I think that's the way you positioned it, right, MDV? Talk to me about this because I think it's a really cool topic and uh, we'll dive into. Is it better to be a technician or personality? Which one's more important for you? Um, and let's go. Yeah, so great lead in there. I think the, the question was posed uh, via my Instagram and it was really asking athletes in the group class environment. The set and setting are really important here because – Yes, like you said, if we're talking about different situations or one-on-one -on -one coaching or, you know, you're coaching an Olympic athlete to the highest level of performance, and if you're talking about another profession, it's a whole different set of circumstances. But if you're talking about the group community fitness environment, like a functional training gym, a CrossFit gym, or even like a cycling studio or where you would go for berries and that kind of stuff, that's the setting we're talking about. And when you walk into that gym – would you rather be coached by someone who is a dead ass, boring technician coach? They're boring you to death the entire time, but they have high technical knowledge. Or would you rather be coached by somebody who's got charisma oozing through their pores, but maybe they have like mid level skills. They understand the basics. They know how to communicate, but that was the question. And if you go on my Instagram at MDV underscore FIT, You'll find the discussion Shout out. there. Shout out. You'll find the discussion there. And I think a lot of athletes, number one, probably didn't read the caption fully because the caption illuminated a little bit more about the setting in which I'm asking the question. And number two, I'm going to take a little heat on this myself. There's a little bit of the question just being vague insofar as like, how boring am I talking about when I'm talking about a boring technician? And when I'm talking about boring, I'm talking about you are literally falling asleep in the class while this person is just droning on and on and on and on about nonsense or these really technical aspects of movements that people don't care about. 
That's the kind of situation I wanted to put people in. And which would they choose? Yes, you're going to get some great knowledge from this person, but you'd be bored to fucking death. Or two, you're going to have a blast every time you walk into the gym, but you're not getting the highest level technical knowledge out of the coach. That was where we started the discussion. Man, I mean, there's there's so much to unpack here and so many different like little circumstances here and there. And I think a lot of it, like you said, depends on, you know, how boring is boring and how, I, I guess, how low the technical knowledge is for the charisma coach, right? And I think it also depends on like who the athlete is that you're asking, you know, if you're on the higher level and you know enough that you're definitely not going to get hurt. I think that that's like a very important level when I think about this, like if you know enough that you're not going to do something irresponsible, I think it's a no brainer charisma because at that point you want to be excited about training every day. You want to be consistent. You want to come in. You don't want this to be like a chore that you're dragging to do. And yes, you might, you know, miss out on like the little intricate cue here and there to like help you clean up the snatch or whatever. But at the end of the day, if you're coming in and excited on a consistent basis, that's so much more important in the long run where I think that, you know, I can see the argument of really wanting and needing the technician is maybe if that level of technical knowledge for the high charisma coach is so low that there'll be some irresponsibility there with safety. I think that that's the only place where I see that, you know, it's much more important to know, have at least that base of, you know, knowing the technical knowledge. But I think that after that, you know, a lot of people I think are, I don't want to say confused, but really not realizing that your goals or not reaching your goals are often being held back by lack of consistency and not like the little 1% change here and there in the movement, the strategy, whatever. And at the end of the day, consistency is just, you know, how excited are you are going there? And I think a coach with charisma is a huge, huge help to try and get you to keep going. Dude, I'm going to pull up an analogy I used for Ava this morning. I, I, I hope you guys like it. So it's this piggy bank analogy. And so Ava and I are in the garage. We work out every morning. And this morning we did a 10 minute workout. It wasn't like anything like too robust. It was one minute on the skier, 30 second push-ups on the box, 30 second step-ups for 10 minutes. So one minute, 30, 30. So we finished and yesterday she busted her ass. And today it was like moderate, right? And she's like, okay. I was like, yeah, you know, not every day we need to crush ourselves or red line. I know we've had that conversation before. But Ava, I need you to remind yourself of something like, it's like putting money in a piggy bank. If you put $2 in the piggy bank every day for years, you get this compounded interest and you see results. If you just once a week put in five bucks, that's not helping you. Every single day, if you put a couple of bucks in, that's where we need to be. And I feel like it's the same thing about this conversation about not to relate, but I guess what I was trying to say to Ava is like, hey, you've been super consistent with your workouts and I'd rather just put a couple of bucks in every single day than go 10 bucks uh, you know, every once a week or whatever with you. And I think that brings up this information, like technical ability. I'm looking at some of the comments and it's interesting because I think a lot more people resonated with the technical component than they did necessarily with the charisma. But I think MD, uh, Gabe, you bring up a really good point. Like at what point are you not having a lot of fun and being entertained and enjoying that best hour of your day? And you're not going to come in as often because we know that consistency is the key for long-term results. And so I think there's gotta be this bridge there, obviously where, the coach has to know enough that you don't get hurt. I get that. But at the same time, they need to be fun enough. When you're excited to go to their class, you're looking forward to it. Uh, I think that's a major, major element that people are um, not thinking about. Yeah, you know, I, 
I, I tend to think, and this is just my opinion, people got wrapped up in the idea of the word technical expertise. And yes, that it sounds really sexy. It sounds really awesome to think about somebody who's an expert in something, but they failed to recognize the caveat on top of that was that this person's boring as fuck. And, you know, across all my years of coaching and functional training gyms and at NC Fit, the amount of complaints that people give about the environment, about the charisma of the coach, about the personality of the coach, about the movement, about, hey, this coach talked too much today. They, they, they don't have as much energy. 99.9% .9 of the complaints that come in and we don't get a ton of complaints, but I'm just saying the complaints that do come in, come in about the charisma or the personality side of the coach. Very, very rarely do you ever get anybody who comes in and goes, you know what? This coach didn't have the highest level, the most utmost level of expertise in regards to this movement. And they missed my triple extension on multiple occasions. And they weren't able to identify the exact cue that got me triple extension on the snatch. And I am very pissed off about that. That never happens. That's like, that's a fantasy land. And the other question I want to ask you guys, how many fucking experts do we think are actually out there in CrossFit or functional training who are absolute experts, experts in movement, specifically the complex movements, the complex gymnastics and the complex Olympic lifting? I wouldn't put myself in the expert category of those movements. That's something that I think people fail to fail to recognize is that like when you're talking about GPP, we're talking about coaches who have like a, in the broad sense of movement with these particularly these complex ones, mid-level knowledge, mid-level knowledge in CrossFit and functional training for Olympic lifting and uh, gymnastics is like high level knowledge in CrossFit and fitness, but probably mid-level knowledge when compared to like the best Olympic lifting coaches out there, the best gymnastics coaches out there. And I'm not saying anything to offend anybody. I think that this is probably fact. We just aren't specialists. So the technical expertise probably technically well, isn't. You even would say the technical there. expertise, actually, I, I, I would. I, so I agree with you. I would say the expertise of a really good functional training coach actually is the ability to um, adjust the workout to hit the stimulus they're looking for and blend movements together while concurrently, obviously keeping people safe. But that is ultimately where we thrive, right? We're not, we're not going to be sure. the best. Like if you, if you wanted to get really, really good at gymnastics, I'd send you to a gymnastics specific gym. If you wanted to get really good at Olympic lifting, the snatch, go find an Olympic lifting coach. Hell, I've had a coach in each of these specialties, but I think what we're really good at is having a group of people with different varying skills and being able to provide them a premium experience where they come in and they get a fun, effective workout. That's what we're really good at. But a big piece of that, right, is being able to keep people safe yet excited and enjoying that experience. And I think that we overlook that sometimes as, a, as, a, as an organization, as a group. I mean, think about it. If you go into a, I mean, spin, yoga, I mean, I've taken all these classes. I know you guys have too. When we go into those classes or are we more impressed with the cues that we're receiving or the environment that's being created? I mean, specifically like spin and yoga to me, it's right. I mean, I know these are different things, yeah. but I'm just saying this is almost like a sliding scale of fitness experience too. So if, if we were talking about taking one-on-one -on -one lessons with an Olympic lifting specialist, and that was my goal to get as good as I could at the snatch or the clean and jerk, 
I probably wouldn't care about that person, that person's personality as much as I would care about their exact level of technical expertise and how are they influencing me in that session. Now, right. if I'm falling asleep and I'm like, dude, I'm wasting my money standing here with you because you're boring me to death. That's a different story. I think we are somewhere like below that, maybe in the middle to mid high range in terms of like, all right, how much are we thinking about the overall experience and creating a fantastic, like entertaining experience where we also educate and inspire and we give cues on movement. And then I think as you come down the scale a little bit, not knocking them, they're great at what they do, but soul cycle, those types of organizations, they're experiential through the roof yeah, and, and very, very little kind of technical cueing on the movements. They get you on the bike, they blast the music and they want you to have fun. Hey, you know, here's a really good way to look at this conversation actually is the more complex of an item that an individual is trying to learn, the more specialty and technical expertise becomes important. So like, wouldn't you agree? So like, let's just say, for example, you're trying to learn a very complex, like for example, when I learned my first backflip, I really cared that Carl Paoli knew the technical capabilities of that. I really cared about that because I didn't want to land on my neck. Whereas when I go in for my first, uh, you know, utilizing spin as an example, right? I didn't care as much. Um, whereas maybe jujitsu is a little bit of blend of both, right? We, we need to create a, a safe environment with good technique, but also create an environment that's fun and exciting. So similar to our classes. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I could get down with that. I also think it depends on like the goal or the specificity of the goal for the athlete. For the individual. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing that I want to ask you guys about, though, is like, and I, I, I responded to a bunch of people in here who who were taking group classes and they said, I want the technician 100% of the time, 100 times over and over again. Okay, cool. How long would you pay $200 a month to be bored to death in that experience? How, how long would you pay for that experience if that was what you were getting? You were You were walking in every day and maybe you walk out with like one piece of knowledge, but you're just bored for 60 minutes. If you can't convey the material in a fun and exciting manner or in a manner that the athletes are going to receive and be like, oh, wow, this is really enlightening to me, or this is really um, fantastic. Does it, does technical knowledge really even matter at that point? That's, that's kind of ultimately where I'm getting to. Yeah. I mean, no, <laughs> I think it goes back to, it goes back to what I was saying before is like, there's, there's a point where you have that foundation of knowledge that at that point you just want to want to come back in. And I think people have to realize that, you know, I, I had, and I, I mentioned this, you know, quickly, but it was part of what we discussed. I think it was last week in my experience with this, you know, two, two days, three day seminar, you know, we did four or five hours of drilling in a row. And there were two female instructors that were very different in their approach. I, I wouldn't say that the one that was least charismatic was not as much of an expert, but I mean, there was such a stark difference in how much more engaged I was and how much more, how much easier it was for me to pay attention to the one that actually her background was, was TV before she was a TV oh. personality. So it made oh. sense that oh, she was just yeah, like oozing sense. charisma. You know, right. she was cracking jokes. She was super funny. Her voice was even a little bit louder. And it made like receiving the information, especially in such a dense, concentrated time frame, just so much easier. Whereas, you know, the other female instructor who was great, by the way, but was just, you know, obviously just a tier below in the charisma, 
you kind of started to zone out just a little bit. So, I mean, I had the experience very recently and that was even me coming from a beginner's perspective. Um, again, not in the extremes of like the question you answered because they both had very good technical knowledge, but I mean, the difference matters, man. And, and I think it's, it's silly not to recognize that. Did you guys ever, you guys both went to colleges where you had lecture halls, right? And you had professors who would lecture to yeah. the, the entire group of students, whether that's 10 students or 50 students or, you know, fucking 400 students. Right. Dude, this is probably the most relatable example I can take outside of the fitness environment. You definitely, I had professors at points in my law, law education and, and undergrad. I dreaded walking into the lecture hall because I just knew how boring this person was going to be. And these are some of the smartest fucking people in the world, the most knowledge, the most kind of experience, but they were just boring. And then you had professors in there who maybe were a little bit middle of the road. Maybe they're a little bit younger, but they were engaging. They were exciting. They were having fun with the material. You would look forward to going to that person's class. The thing that I think people get wrapped up in when we're talking about fitness, there was two angles to this discussion. Number one was the safety one. And I think that if we push that off the table and go, hey, you're not going to get hurt in, in the experience with the mid-level coach or the mid to low level coach of, of expert knowledge, you're not getting hurt. If we take that off the table. But the other thing was this idea that like athletic performance seemed to be so important to a lot of people where it's like, I'm here to get better. I'm here to like improve my whatever scores on my workouts. Yes, I get it. We all want to improve. But like ultimately, if you're bored to death, you're not retaining any of that knowledge anyway. You're probably checked out of the experience. Maybe you're not getting better in that environment, even though you think you might. But with the coach who's giving you like really basic, really simple instruction, who's firing you up, who maybe can come over and maybe tweak something small on you, that uh, expert level coach would go, oh, that's really basic. I think that you're, you're going to get better faster in that environment because you're going to be into it. You're going to be excited about it. You can tell this gets me fired up. Now, let me turn this around question for you, MDV. And I know that this is something that you've, you've discussed with, you know, one of our good friends, Dr. Sean Pastuch, you know, what, Ooh, Sean, what, um, you know, with this in mind and the fact that we want charismatic group class leaders, is this, what's your view on this entertainment fitness, you know, that he throws around so much and, is that what we do? Is that what we're doing? Is that why this is so important? And, you know, on the other side, like, isn't it important to be able to assess an athlete when they come in and be able to tell, you know, what every single one of their joints are doing, so on and so forth? Such a great question. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, because when I first heard that term fitness entertainment, it really, really annoyed me. It kind of pissed me off a little bit because I was like, no, I'm not a fitness entertainer. Like, I'm a fitness professional. But you know, if you, if you take a step back and you think about running a, 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 a CrossFit or a functional training style gym, and you're thinking about what your job is when you cross the threshold to bring to life a class, you know, Glassman said it, it's educate, entertain, inspire. I don't think you can argue with those three things. You have to do all three of those things in every single class. And a main element, one of the three is entertain. So Yes, I do think that to some level, coaches in functional training environments are fitness entertainers. I, 
you, you, in my opinion, if you're not entertaining your class, and I'm not saying that you have to be doing backflips or lighting fucking, you know, Roman candles out of your ass, but you have to be, <laughs> you have to be getting the people fired up about what you're going to do. If they're not, they're walking out and they're going somewhere else. He also made the statement the other day. I think we we're on a phone. No, Stu Brower made a statement where he was talking about like people, people will come to your gym, you know, because they, they are so much more entertained or like fired up about what you're doing, not necessarily because of like the, the results that you're giving them in terms of the pure fitness gains. But I, I'm embracing the term fitness entertainer a little Ooh. bit more. I think one thing to, to touch base on, I think you, you hit the nail on the head a little bit, MDV. I, I look back at when I was in college and the moments that most resonated with me was when I felt like a professor was coming from real world experience and was just sharing really compelling, powerful stories. Those are the ones that got me where they were captivating because they came from real life experience. They weren't just read out of a book and the individual was articulating it in a way that it, I was able to consume it. Even though reading from a textbook, uh, I mean, if you do it really, 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 like, really well, maybe you could get that. But it, it, it wasn't as powerful for me. And when I think back, you know, on, on all the different fitness elements that I've ever incorporated, it was the coaches that were bridging the gap between the knowledge they had and the way that they could deliver it to someone, right? And keeping it fun and entertaining kept me engaged. And the more engaged I was, the more that 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 information I was able to uh, be a sponge and absorb it. And so I think that a, a good way of looking at this is when you are a technician, it's great to be a technician. You want to have that knowledge, but you need to be able to bridge that with with this level of enthusiasm and charisma that allows an individual to absorb what you're sharing. Because if you're too dry, you can't absorb it. It's like listening to you know, a professor speak, like you said, I, I think that that's a really good way. I mean, we deal with different professionals in their arenas all the time, whether it's lawyers or whoever, and the ones that I could, or bankers or whoever, it's the people that could find a way to make it exciting uh, are the ones that I, it, it resonates the most with me, at least. I, I agree. You know, Gabe, did you read Empire of the Summer Moon? I did not. Okay, so the Empire of the Summer Moon is a is a, a really fantastic historical novel about a na the Native American tribe. I, I forget the exact Native American tribe I read it. Would you call um, it Empire of the Empire of the Summer Moon? And it, Empire of the Summer Moon. It's come up on on Rogan a whole bunch. I I, I believe it's the Cherokee, but I, I'm I'd have isn't to it look. The, isn't it the Comanches? Oh, the Comanches. I'm sorry, the Comanches. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, it would be like so. That's a fantastically written historical novel that's written like a story. And I'm sure that there are things in that book that might be left out in terms of like the exact historical uh, events and like the sequence of action. And like, it's not just straight facts, like it's illuminated with personality, but everything that is portrayed in that book actually happened. Now it's like reading that and it's a fantastic read or reading the encyclopedia entry on the Comanches. That to me is like the two things that we're talking about here. You have the encyclopedia entry, which is just the facts written in a way that is just straight down the page. And yeah, you can get some good information out of it, but it could be boring. Or you have this novel over here where it's well-written, it's a story, you're engaged, you wanna keep turning the page, and maybe you're missing 
some of like the actual facts or like the high level, really, really intricate stuff that might be going on. Anyway, it gets me fired up. No, I mean, I think, I think that's a great analogy too, with the book, you know, some of the best mentors that I've ever had, and I don't know if I could, I'm sure maybe it's the same with you are the ones that really told compelling stories, good storytellers, good. And, and I don't know how that relates necessarily to directly as being a coach, but if you think about your class, as you're trying to have a start, a finish, and in between, there's a story that's being told of getting your athletes more fit and the work of the day and how excited you are about it. I don't know, maybe that's a stretch, but but, you know, one of my original early mentors, his name is Joe Gigantino. We've talked about him a lot, but Joe him and Jig. I would be on the elliptical. Yeah, Joe Jig. We'd be on the elliptical at, at, for so many nights, and he would just be sharing with me, oh, what's that, the carnivore code? And he would just be sharing with me uh, different perspectives he had in business through a story, and those are the ones that resonate with me the most. What's up with the carnivore code? Oh, I want to, so I put something out there on, on uh, Instagram this morning, Jason. I want to get your opinion on this because. Oh uh, boy. Dude, I've gone off the rails too hard, man. I got to <laughs> pull back. Dude, last night, last night I went to dinner with these friends. I tell you, and dude, they brought out a skillet with uh, cornbread and this cornbread, they, they drenched oh, it with honey. <laughs> oh my God, dude. I ordered three of them and, and I, I'm, and we shared, but dude, <laughs> I went way off the reservation. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. No, dude, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I got bit by the bug for some reason over the past, like maybe like week or so thinking about going really down this path of strict carnivore. And I, I had listened to a couple of things that kind of pulled me in. I saw Jason's, you know, success on the EOE 40 challenge, which he was not super strict carnivore, but you were pretty darn close to strict carnivore. You had some berries here and there. Um, but boy, man, I'm reading some of these books and it's always interesting to me that like I'm reading something. I'm like, oh, this makes so much sense. Like, of course, I'm reading like the most biased view. Of yeah, it, yeah, yeah, of course. It, I, I, I think I can get down with eating three ribeyes a day. I don't know about you guys. I, th I think I think you might. I, I think it's worth exploring. I think that it, it has there's a lot of attention on it right now. And I think there's a lot of benefits to it. And uh yeah, I mean, Gabe, have you done hardcore carnivore only? I did carnivore and some fruit. I never did strict strict carnivore, like just meat and 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 salt. Um, but I did carnivore and some fruit, and um, yeah, it, it was good. It's just a little bit too restrictive for me. But I think everything's worth a try. I think you can do anything for thirty days, and even if it ends up not working out, you'll you'll get some valuable lessons out of it. Yeah, there is Thomas Glower. Uh, yeah. Oh, keep going. Thomas, Tom, I had a gentleman at the gym the other day, and he's been like very strict keto uh, for a long time, uh, slash kind of keto carnivore, but more keto. And it was interesting to hear from him how to, um, you know, when you incorporate these cheat meals like once a month or whatever, then you can start really having um, optimizing your insulin sensitivity. And these are things that I'm really, uh, I'm very fascinated with uh, as of lately, right? Uh, obviously, with my blood until, glucose until monitor, the, until the cornbread comes out. I, oh, dude, I wish I was wearing a CGM last night because it probably would have just gone off the rector. It, it would have just been just exploded. Off of your dude, dude, what happened to the CGM? There were like two weeks where I kept getting texts about, with CGM updates. Well, here's the thing about the CGM. And just to be, <laughs> to be, give credit where credit is due. The CGM provided me data similar to the way that like Whoop provided me data. But once I received that data, I felt good about that data and I moved on. Um, 
there might be a time that I, that I put back on the CGM, but I felt like I already received the data I wanted from it, which I found to already be super powerful, which I share with you guys. Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, the there's a lot to unpack in regards to keto and carnivore. I think that it's just now really hitting this more mainstream approach where a lot of people are talking about it and there's a lot of benefits to it. Andrew, uh, what's the one that Huberman? Dude, I'm fascinated with some of the stuff that he's putting out about uh, cold therapy and gut health, which I'm going to dive into here in the next week. I'm getting that cold plunge soon. Oh, super, let's go. Super smart guy. Super digestible information, too. Makes it very, very easy to go and find the the key points from any of his podcasts, too. Does a good job of, like, um, memorializing, you know, his podcast after the fact. You know, one thing I want to ask you guys is there's been a few people who I follow on on Instagram. This one guy in particular – uh, actually, I don't know if it's a guy or a girl, but I think it's a 99% sure it's a guy. Carnivore Aurelius. And it, it, oh, it's like a, oh. yeah, it's like a kind of uh, carnivore component, a little bit out of his mind, a little bit crazy, a little bit mean type of stuff, but has recently switched and got a lot of heat from going straight carnivore to kind of carnivore plus fruit, I believe, is um, the way that he's eating right now. And you know, one of the questions that I want to kind of pose to you guys is, you know, yes, you could follow something like strict carnivore. And, you know, there's obviously a, an adherence to that where if you're just eating meat and salt, but if you're thinking about, you know, fruit, honey, and dairy, and, and you're not going into dairy, like, you know, yogurt that has additives in it or anything like that. You're, let's stick to dairy as being like uh, butter and then uh, cheese and maybe raw milk and raw cheese, raw milk. It, do we think that there's huge differences there? Is that food sensitivity? Is that choice? Is that I, I need to do a little bit more reading on this stuff because I am more recently enjoying eating, you know, raw raw cheese and raw honey. Those things have been just delicious and game changers for me in terms of like how I feel. I feel great. When you say raw cheese, are you referring to like non pasteurized cheeses? Is that what, or are you so, talking about cheese? Um, when I go and buy my cheese, whether or not I get it from uh, my buddy, Brad Wasick, who runs a cheese shop in New England, he's been kind enough to send me a bunch of cheese uh, or go to the grocery store. I'm looking for, it says on the label, raw cheese or from grass fed cows. And usually it's Kerrygold cheese. Um, but uh, I, I honestly, I, I can't answer that question with 100% specificity. I'm just looking for what the label says and then reading the back. Gabe, do you know about raw cheese? I mean, you got a couple of goats. Uh, you got a couple of cows and goats. Are you making your own cheese soon or what? Yeah, we, we make our cheese um, whenever we have extra leftover milk. Dude, all the milk I drink, literally, especially now, um, is it's been no longer than 48 hours outside of the cow. <coughs> 48 like, hours? Yeah, like usually – sorry, the dogs are barking. Yeah, usually it doesn't go more than two days between like – the cow bean milk and me consuming that milk. Like it's a How fresh, much milk do you drink a day? Um, I use it for overnight oats. I use it for my shake. I'll have some of it just on its own, but I'd say I probably have like maybe a, a couple pints of, of, of milk a day or milk products. I have a lot, but it's all like, I mean, I, I, I literally can see the cow. I know what she eats. I know the levels of stress she's in. And it's super interesting, man. It's been one of the most... <laughs> fascinating i'm gonna go on mute here for a second so is there anything while the dogs are calming down is there anything that needs to happen to the milk after it's extracted from the cow after it's extracted from the teats 
that you have to do before you drink it? Do you have to strain it? Do you have to? Um, I'm so happy we're having this conversation. So when, when we milk the cows for like our personal consumption, there's a lot of like sanitation that needs to happen. We just need to make sure that she's clean and that the entire process is done with like very clean hands. We use an aluminum bucket. We have a strainer that it goes into. But what we don't do is pasteurize the milk. So pasteurizing the milk is heating it for a certain amount of time to where it will kill any microbes that are in it. And any milk that you buy in the supermarket is pasteurized, but it's pasteurized because, you know, in at scale, when you're milking cows at scale, they can't be, they can't have the level of sanitation that I can when I'm just milking one cow and, you know, she's on pasture all the time. She's not in a dirty barn. Do you like clean off the like, what do you call the thing that like the bag that comes out? Yeah, the, of the teats. Yeah, yeah. You clean you her. clean them off with like a yeah. what, like an alcohol swab or something? You wash it with soapy water, like you would wash your hands to yeah. get them clean. And then you can even do an iodine dip if you want to like like triple make sure that it's very clean. But because our cows don't, they have so much room. The problem is if the cows are spending a lot of time laying down. They don't care where they lay down. They'll lay down in mud. They'll lay down in their poop. But if they have a lot of space, they don't really lay down anywhere that's dirty. They're on like fresh, clean grass. So it's not, it, it doesn't really get dirty and it's not a lot of cleaning. Um, but it's more about the process of doing that and then getting the milk from when it's milked into the house and into the freezer as quick as possible. Because what you want to do is you want to cool it down as quick as possible. So we don't freeze it. It's just the best way to get it from it coming out warm to it getting very cold because any bacteria will grow if you leave it out long. So once it's been in the freezer until like around noon, we switch it over to the fridge, but it's just all about getting it cold as quickly as possible. And it's safe to drink. Um, it's just one of those things that there's a lot of, you know, like if you Google is drinking raw milk safe, you'll see a lot of articles that rightfully so will say that it isn't. But it's just because, you know, if I were to buy raw milk from someone else, which in some states you can't, it's, in some it's states illegal can, in some states, right? Yeah, it's illegal in yeah. some states. It's just you, there's a lot of trust there because you have to make sure that what they went through to collect that milk had to be very clean. Mm. Um, so what happens if it's not clean? Do you just get do you get sick or like really sick? Well, you could get sick because if you think about it, like warm milk is like the perfect place for bacteria to grow. So if there is anything that would have gotten you sick that was either on your hands or on the cow, and then it gets into that milk, and especially if it doesn't get cooled down soon, it's like the perfect place for that to turn into a big problem. Does it taste any different from, you know, yes. tr traditional store-bought? I mean, what's the is taste difference like? It's, first of all, it's so fatty. So when it's not homogenized, so milk that you buy in the store, you'll never see the fat separate from the skim milk, but you'll see that in raw milk because it never goes through that process. And literally it's like, it's almost half and half. Like you'll look at the jar and half of it separates into milk fat. Um, so it's very, very rich and very high fat. And that's also part of that is also the specific breed of, of cows that we have. Um, we do Jersey cows that don't produce a lot of milk. Generally speaking, you know, she puts out like two gallons of milk a day, which is a lot. We don't keep everything for ourselves. A lot of it goes to the pigs and the chickens and my parents, Ariel's parents. So we're spreading around. But uh, Holstein cows, which is the breed that is used commercially, you know, those will give out eight to 10 gallons of milk a cow. A day? Yeah. 
but it'll be a lot more, a lot more skim. So already just because of the cows that they use in conventional um, operations, that milk that you get at the store is a lot more skim. It's just going to taste more like water and less like milk. So if you ever have raw milk, it just, it tastes different. It's super rich. It's a little bit on the sweeter side. It's very thick. It's fatty. It's delicious. I've never tried it. Um, hey, dude. A couple of people who I follow who are big raw milk proponents, but I've never, never had it. Well, it's awesome because there's a lot of probiotic bacteria mm. naturally in that milk that is really good for you. Um, and all of that doesn't make it through the pasteurization, pasteurization process. So if you heat the milk, yes, it kills anything that could possibly make you sick. So it's quote unquote safe, but it's also killing a lot of the other things in there that are actually really good for you, really good for your gut. Dude, I'm coming out in two weeks or whatever to see you. I'm going to have to have some raw milk because um, I'm, I, have a, I have a pretty bad uh, allergy to, to dairy. Um, like if I drink like a, a cup of milk, my throat swells up and my, my nose too. But I will try like a quarter of a cup of milk over with you and see if it makes any difference. This is not pasteurized. You know, one time I tried colostrum because uh, I, I was at the farmer's market and I thought that I would try colostrum. Do you drink the colostrum sometimes, Gabe? No. So, dude, this colostrum, I don't know if it was just me, like, playing mind games with myself, but I tried colostrum at uh, – and so, G Gabe, what is uh, – you probably know more than me. How do you how do you describe what colostrum is? The first milk after a cow has a baby, is that what it is? Yeah. So, when our one of our cows gave birth, the first, like, day of milk is not even white. It's like a bright yellow. And it's the first bit of milk that they give the newborn calf – it's like super rich in all sorts of nutrients. And a lot of the bacteria that actually like gives the baby calf its immune system, because like us, like human babies, calves aren't born with an like intact gut biome. They have to get that through that first bit of colostrum. And it's actually really important. A calf has to latch on to her mom within the first two hours of having been delivered or else you have to get a colostrum replacement and feed it to her. Um, so it's actually one of the things you have to watch out when a calf is born, because within those two hours, if she doesn't get that, um, it's going to be really tough for them to make it. But luckily it's so impressive, dude. Animals like know what they're doing. We were born and we like have no chance in hell at anything without help, but animals just like, they know what they're supposed to do. They're like walking around four hours after birth. It's incredible. They know that they should be eating. It's really fascinating. Yeah, it's always been interesting to me. It's like, you know, it's, and as you go down, like, I don't want to say the evol evolutionary chain, like, as fish come out of the fish, like, they're freaking swimming right away. Baby calves are walking right away. Reptiles are, like, slithering right away. It's very, very interesting to me. Humans yeah. need, need a, a whole... Useless for, like, 10 years. <laughs> oh. Two years yeah. at least. I, I finally got my kids to take out the trash now. So, I, yeah. <laughs> It took, um, to close the loop on the colostrum because, uh, so I, I, I don't know what it was, it was probably like 2010, 11. I was like really into like, you know, what can I do to like get, you know, fitter, stronger, whatever. And someone recommended to me colostrum for the farmer's market. And so I bought a gallon of it and I started <laughs> drinking it and dude, uh, it, I don't know if I'm just like making this up, but it really affected me mentally. Like I started like being like 
pretty aggressive and like i started like just having like some negative like aggressive thoughts i'm like dude i need to stop this shit i think it just hormonally like kind of threw me off i don't know if that's a fact gabe or if i'm just totally making this up right now but i'm never drinking colostrum again let's put it that way i've never heard of colostrum even being sold especially by the gallon because it's like it's hard to believe that someone would have whatever yeah it, yeah, I, I don't know, but I've no, I've never heard of people getting maybe this person just ripped me off, and it was like some some <laughs> steroid induced uh, uh, milk. But you're gonna have to have that EpiPen ready when Jason comes by if he's gonna drink the. Uh, yeah, I don't know the, if I'm gonna give him any. The, hey, dude, I got the kids. Yeah. Ava's Ava and Kate, and they love Ava in particular. She loves milk, so she'll 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 get down on some of that milk. If if you have some life cereal, I'll make sure that I have it with some life cereal too. Um. <laughs> You know, while we're on this topic of like kind of raw-ish stuff, there's this person who I've been following on social media recently. And Gabe, I don't know if you followed him yet, but Probably. raw meat, raw meat experiment. Oh no! Oh. oh, so it's this guy, and I don't know what background he is, but he's he's got this like curly salt and pepper hair, and he's not he doesn't necessarily look super like athletic, like not the type of guy that you would be like, oh man, I'm like I can't believe this guy is eating just raw meat every day all types of raw meat and raw fish and raw organs. So anyway, his like bio is I'm going to eat raw meat for 365 days at Whole Foods and see whether or not I die of bacteria poisoning or whether or not like something else happens. But his account is just purely him sitting at Whole Foods eating all the different types of raw, whether it's cow brain or like kidneys or heart or steaks or just like he's doing this meat. at Whole Foods. Yes. Was he sponsored by Whole Foods or something? I think, you know, what's funny is like he's starting to get meals sponsored by like little random companies. Like he had like a plumbing company in Ohio sponsor a meal recently. And he was like, I can't wait to come do a number two in one of your toilets one day. Meal sponsored by X company. (laughs) Um, Dude, it's really, it's kind of fascinating. Like he's, he's just slonking raw eggs and drinking raw milk and eating raw animal protein every day you guys got to look it up it's crazy i can't go that far no i I, i'm not i don't know but that's far yeah you you like some raw fish some sushi all right i'm down maybe a little uh uh beef tartare okay i'll give that a shot you know whatever um but uh dude so, but what else? Because I mean, some meats, I mean, you'll get super sick if you eat them. So he doesn't eat like chicken or pork or whatever, yes, right? Yes, he does. No. Yep. Eats, eats the, the raw poultry, eats raw uh, fit, fish, raw shellfish. Um, you know, he ate like one of those uh, clams the other day. It's got that like really long uh, oh, kind yeah. of thing that every, every looks like the male organ coming out of it. He ate that thing. Um no, what's funny is Josh uh, Josh Gold, Goldstein. He was like a, the caveman guy around the CrossFit arena for a while, right? Always worked for. He was the nicest. He is the oh, nicest. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The guy that would um he worked he worked caveman for Caveman Coffee. Yeah, big raw meat guy. Big raw meat guy. Big raw milk guy too. But he did a video of himself eating a raw a whole raw chicken that that went viral, and it is. Um, it's an interesting watch. You find he yourself... ended up throwing up, or what happened? No, I, I think he ended up being just fine. He, um, he first of all, he recommended that if you're going to eat raw poultry, that it's like really super high quality raw poultry. Like this thing looked like it had been, you know, blessed from the gods of raw meat. Like the the skin like looked really like 
kind of firm and crisp and like <laughs> it was it's not a normal like Purdue chicken that he was eating raw, but it's still a very interesting video to watch. Yeah, I can't get down. No, it's crazy, man. But I mean, there's there's so much. There's just been so much. Like, I don't I don't know if I want to use the term propaganda, but there's just been so much put out there about you know fear of having raw foods, and you know a lot of it is a result of like how food is developed and raised now. It's very different than having stuff fresh from the farm. You know, I'm not going to have anything raw anytime soon just because I enjoy cooking my meats, but it's. It, really like appreciating how different like what we do here to raise our own food to what you would buy i mean it's it's worlds apart like yeah. it's it's completely different like and substances that you get um there's no comparison so i can see that stuff being completely different um but it's interesting man it's crazy yeah it seems like a really far jump but then if you think about beef in particular right if you're if you're somebody who eats beef and you eat your burgers very rare, or you eat your steak yeah, very rare. Like far off, yeah. It's really it's what is it a, a sear on each side off? Like that's it's not too far off than just For having sure. a room temperature steak. And even like that, it seems like a little bit off putting to me right now. But I don't eat my steak very rare. I eat my steak like medium rare. Um. Anyway, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I there enjoy is, the cooking process though, man. I got this new. Uh, gosney pizza oven cooking thing ashley got it for me for christmas and i love it man i i really do i just i enjoy the whole process of cooking i think there's something fun about it where are you guys cooking food. all those kebabs man and why haven't we been invited over for oh, oh my father night? dude yeah. my father so my father-in-law he built a new taj mahal and uh <laughs> at his place his dream has always been able to be to roast a, a lamb that's that's always been his goal and he's never been able to do it each time we've tried. It's been a disaster. So finally, he built this new thing that you can put chickens on. We're going to try a lamb next. But uh, for Persian kebabs, uh, the way it's done, it's it's just such an art. So it's at his house that we're doing it. But um, yeah, w w ne next time you guys are in town, we need to have you guys over for some kubade kebab because it's just such an artwork, the way that people do it. It's a lot it harder than it looks unreal like it looks so delicious every time you post a picture of the kebabs i'm like i'm salivating yeah. i have a i have a sheep that's about to give birth hopefully they'll give birth when you're here that'd be fun for the kids that would be a lot of fun you know the thing about kebabs just to kind of close the loop on that is that it's all about taking the liquid out of the onion so when you're making them it's like this ground beef with onion it's a bunch of herbs but then you have to put it on the skewer and putting on the skewer, I'm yet to have good success there. You think you're good, and then you put it on the actual grill, and it just falls apart. And so it's all about the, the moisture built in. Um, and so uh, basically, it's a good example of like a technician versus like an entertainer. We need a good technician for this particular situation, because if you don't know what the hell you're doing, if you haven't been doing it for years, there's no way you're going to be able to get that meat on that skewer and be able to cook it right. Where would, full circle. Full where circle. Would, where would Salt Bay? Remember Salt Bay? That guy that oh, was doing dude. the fucking salt down his forearm, where would he fall in terms of restaurant entertainer versus technician? Ooh. So I think he's a good example of someone that bridged the gap. He started out as, <laughs> as a really, he, so he was a really good technician, right? I mean, he had to be I mean, with his knife skills and whatever. But then what actually put him on the map was his entertaining skills. Like you would have never heard of the Salt Bay guy had he not have created that kind of like allure. 
so it's a really great analogy actually, because I mean, dude, him pouring the salt like off his arm and having it fall on the meat. I don't think that's necessarily like an art. I think he's a really good chef, but I think that he's a great entertainer and that's what made it so popular. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing now because he's also, he was like a good looking guy. You know, he had the whole jacked. thing going. He's super jacked. He, super, works out, super jacked. he works out all the time. And I think he eats tons of steak. Um, you know, it's funny back in the day when he was first becoming popular on, on Instagram, we had a discussion at Reebok and this never left like the, the room that we were going to bring him in for one of the athlete meetings at the CrossFit games when Castro was like announcing a workout and have him come in with chalk in his hands and do the chalk <laughs> all over the barbell. And that would have been like the extent of the appearance, but I, I never even think we got to the costing of it, but it would have been funny. That would have been funny. That would have been fantastic. Uh, well, Hey Gabe, so I'm coming out to see you in a couple of weeks. Um, MDV is going to try hardcore carnivore. Him and I were just talking about different hair clippers. So, um, I am going to actually go purchase some of these new ones that, uh, MDV was recommending this brand called Oster. So Oster. we got to go check those out. Yeah. Um, but anything else on the agenda coming up this week for you guys? Let's give our, so today is we're filming this on a recording this on a Thursday and open 22.2 will be announced in about three hours. It's about 9 a.m. Pacific standard time. Now, last week was 22.1, which was the 15 minute AMRAP of the wall walks, the dumbbell snatches and the box over jumps. What are your guys' predictions for this week? I, I, I couldn't be more, more detached from the pro I know they were unprepared unprepared for this question unprepared for the assignment um I don't know I'm gonna say a squat movement uh barbell since they didn't have a barbell I'm trying to think of the things that they didn't have in the first one that just kind of have to show up I'm gonna say toes to bar squat clean like ladder toes to bar squat clean ladder Ooh. I'm I think gonna, it's gonna be a repeat what do you think Jay I I, I like I like Gabe's idea it's a cool um, workout that's a good workout. Hey, by the way, I put up something on social media about is wearing a belt cheating or not. And uh, I think out of the, I think there was like 3,000 people that, that actually like participated and MDV, 85%, 90, 85% not cheating. Just letting you know. I don't think it's cheating. Um, I think that it, so I, this is a really another, uh, this might be a topic for another day. I don't think wearing a belt is cheating. It certainly is performance Helpful. enhancing. In, oh, in 100%. Some forms. It also is something that can help people who have had injuries in the past. And this is the, the kind of the wrinkle in the discussion that gets a little funky is like, if you've had injuries in the past, I get it. It can help you keep a solid midline if you're working with heavier weights. But like, I think my argument here on the belts is more so like, I would love people to be able to lift and go along that journey without relying on the, the weight belt to support their midline and develop their midline and their lumbar spine and the muscles around it to a point at which you can lift very safely at heavier loads without it. I don't like when people rely on it as a safety mechanism um, because they don't know how to set their midline. That's where I think it gets dangerous because that's not going to save the belt's not going to save you if your midline is not engaged, yeah. it can help, but you're still putting yourself in a really scary position. I think it's an interesting topic we can maybe bring up on another show is, uh, is like what, uh, what support uh, gear do you wear and why, right? Like, like knee sleeves, like why, why do I like knee sleeves? Why do I like belts? 
do I wear grips? Maybe even like the, you, you, I, I think we should talk about those. Cause I, I definitely think they have their place. I definitely used to be the guy that used to travel through airports with two different belts hanging off the, the backpack and all kinds of goodies inside the bag. And I, I could share with what that was and, and, and why, why I did it, but I don't do that as much anymore. All good. So we got toes bar cleans coming up. We'll see what happens. Uh, any, uh, any final thoughts here before we basically, uh, close out on this, uh, topic that pivoted from, uh, coaching to cows. You know, I'll, one final thought, and I've been thinking about this a lot since, um, you know, I'm, I'm writing some nutrition content for our EOE weekly uh, newsletters. So if you haven't signed up, definitely sign up for that. We'll be doing nutrition-focused writings for the next four weeks because March is nutrition, National Nutrition Month. But one thing I've been thinking about, and I think it's relevant since, you know, MBV, you're bringing up carnivore. There's so much to learn from these kind of very restrictive diets. And I think that self-experimentation is great and people should definitely go out there and try it. What I do want to caution people is that, you know, if you're struggling to make improvements with your diet and nutrition, sometimes people rush to the most extreme things because they hear about other people doing it. And I think that there's a lot of progress that can be made by making the small changes, whether that's having a little bit more protein making sure you're hydrating adequately, having a vegetable with every meal. So while I think that self-experimentation and like doing these things is incredibly valuable and you'll learn something from it, I think that if you're really stuck and just want to get going, finding something that's a really small win and sustainable might be the best way to go. For sure. For sure. I couldn't agree more. You know, I think that's a really important point to come back to. And, you know, I'm not recommending anybody go out there and try carnivore. I'm not recommending anybody necessarily change the way that they're eating, unless they're not happy with how they look, how they feel, how they're performing. If your health is, you know, tumbling downhill, you might want to examine your nutrition and see whether or not there are small changes that you can make. And ultimately the, the biggest change that you could probably make is just eating more whole unprocessed foods and reducing the amount of processed foods that you're eating. And then, you know, taking a look at the things you're drinking as well. And if you're drinking a lot of sugary shit and processed sodas and all that kind of stuff, drinking water, you know, th those are the kind of inarguable facts, in my opinion, about nutrition, whole unprocessed foods, drink water and get some exercise. Less mezcal margaritas and honey uh, drenched cornbread like I had last night, which I'm, I'm getting back on track. I went 40 days hard in the paint on just meat and fruit. I've gone like a week in the opposite direction. I'm going to move back and I'll keep you guys posted on what that balance looks like. But, uh, yeah. dude, uh, Hey, for anybody listening, first off, appreciate you guys listening. If you have not checked out the NC fit app and you're a user, you know, you're, you're, you're a member in your, in your garage, in the gym, you're just looking for great workouts. They're the workouts that the three of us do every single day. Make sure you go on to the Apple store, check out the NC fit app. And, um, if you like that app, by the way, leave us a rating, leave us a review on there definitely helps us out. And if you're a gym owner, and we've said this before, if you have not checked out the NC Fit Collective, that's the world's best. Honestly, session plans and programming for gym owners. And if you haven't checked that out, you're again, missing out. Uh, Gabe, MDV, hope you guys both have a great day. I'm sure I'll be talking to you guys in a little bit. Everybody listening, keep training hard, keep getting after it and put in the effort over everything. Let's go. Let's go.